There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Congratulations. No, no, seriously. Well done you. Because you've found The Rugby Dungeon, the podcast where I talk to players, coaches, administrators, whoever it may be, in order to give you a clearer idea of what goes on in our great game. As always, you can find me on social media. I'm at Jay Beardmore. This podcast is at The Rugby Dungeon. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars is preferable. Other reviews are available, but not recommended. Also, why don't you subscribe? Because then you can go through all of our back episodes, which are good, and then all of our future episodes will get delivered directly to your device. And hopefully they're only going to get better. Like today's interview, which is with Sail Sharks player Dave Seymour. Obviously Dave is now with Sail, but he's previously been with Saracens. Before that he was with Chinna RFC. And we just talk about his career in the game and what he's going to get up to post-game. Fascinating guy, really good bloke, and we enjoyed a couple of beers together. So, here you go. This is my interview with Dave Seymour. Enjoy it. Well, here I am in the rather trendy Northern Quarter with coffee, what are we going to call you? Coffee, Empire, Magnets, Dave Seymour. Sounds good to me. I'm good, thank you. Uh, Just coming back off holiday? Yeah, uh, came back a couple of weeks ago. Had a good trip away, went away for three and a half weeks on Australia. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it, but before you know it, you're back walking through Carrington's training doors. Do you not fancy a quick trip over to um, to New Zealand? Uh, it was just before all that action just started. Just before, really. If I could have, I would have. I've got a mate actually who works with Sky, Luke Rosie, who's actually out there on the on the fan van. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I went That's to school cool. with him. Uh, so he managed to pitch that idea and he gets married actually in a few weeks after he comes back so somehow he's managed to green like six weeks away well I don't know if you heard but the Lions were looking for a few extra players so uh, yeah maybe I should have taken my boots and uh, been a bit closer actually that's a good point what do you make of all that what do you make of the late Lions call-ups and how they were treated subsequently yeah if you're going to call them up you've got to play them and obviously that hasn't helped but there's a few guys I think the Welsh have been called up that a lot of people probably never heard of and me personally I think, I think it was the hooker someone said he got capped a few days previous and that's it, the only cap he's got it was a hooker it was um, oh long haired lad oh, I can't, can't, can't remember his name I've got a blues anyway but, well, well there's the example yeah exactly um, it's a tough one you need you can understand the time difference but you imagine Gatlin probably knew beforehand he might have to call people up yeah and on one side you look at the guys like uh, the English players that probably have played far better that probably arguably deserve it but obviously with the time difference um, you can understand that but if you're going to call them up 
you got to play him in the game. Let me play devil's advocate, right? So, if you were out in Argentina now, and you've just had that amazing first test, and one guy calls and says, do you want to sit on the Lions bench? You're probably not going to get on. Would you miss that second test to fly over, sit on the bench and go home? It's a tough one. I would say yes, because you sit on the bench and we get injured 10 minutes in. Yeah, that's cool. You play the majority of the game. Um, and when you talk, when you hear people who've been on Lions stores, it's pretty rare and it's something that everyone wants to go on. And you get your number, don't you? And you get your number, and you never know, like, you have a great game, someone picks up an injury in training, and then, oh, that's a fine. fine yeah, that's on. a massive fine, isn't it? Uh, and then someone gets injured in the week, and then you never know, you've got to be there. It's all about timing, and I think it's worth the risk if someone mm. rang me up. Oh, okay. I mean, if someone rang me up, I'd be there in a second. But I don't know, it, it made sense for the Welsh lads, I think. I don't think, I don't think I'd want to be Joe Launchbury going all, all the way over there, because that's the guy who they... Who they're talking Everyone's about, talking about. Yeah. missing. They've probably got a point, actually. Yeah, Gatlin, no. He's obviously made that decision for a reason. I think he said last time they did the Lions tour, they called up boys who weren't, I think it was in Australia, and he, I think, he used Wade as an example. They didn't climatise the time, and so then you can understand. Yeah. Um, but then when they fly over there, they land, and two days later, they, or three days later, they play a game. So that probably, in the first place, isn't really good timing either. Let me, let me ask you this. How hard do you think their task is to just come together as a squad and play together for, for the first time? Because there is a lot made of it, isn't there, that this is a really difficult challenge if you've, if you've, not, play, if you've not played together. Yeah, it's a difficult challenge coming together like that, let alone when you play against the best team in the world for yeah. however many years. Um, anyway, they've all got different styles. You know, Gatlin will have his style he has to play in Ireland will have a different style England will have a different style Scotland will have a different style and trying to combine that together is extremely tough and I don't think you can underestimate how hard that is Yeah. Um, in such a relatively short period of time to then be test ready to play against one of the best well the best team in the world I'm going to ask this question in a roundabout way so I'm going to ask one question first and then I can back up back, back onto lines but as a player um, what role do you, do you see yourself playing in a team well, for me, it probably it'd be more defence and yeah, and trying to slow the ball down um, rather than the big ball carrier due to my size. And <laughs> every, it's horses for courses. Everyone's yeah. got their own strengths, and I think that's where the balance comes into it, especially in the back row. And it's yeah. always a conversation um, about the balance of you have an out and out. Someone like Tip Rick, who I'm a massive fan of, he's cool, isn't he? Um, and then you have your O'Brien, who's, no out, who's an open side, but he's a lot bigger and different styles. And then you've got to have the six and the eight can make a difference as to who plays at seven. Yeah. Um, and that's always going to be a, a tricky question. So this is why I asked the question, because there's a lot of, not made of this all-black attack, the running off nine, and them getting too much quick ball. Do you, do you think that is the case? And do you think someone to slow down the ball is preferable for the second test? How, how would you go about stopping it, basically? <laughs> yeah. Personally, I think you've got to have to try and slow it up. Yeah. But it's easier said than done when you're playing against the All Blacks. You know, their clean-out ability is unbelievable because they do that drill over and over again. And they put so much pace on the ball when they get it. It's hard, unless you can get a real good shot, and it's hard to slow them up. Yeah. And they're just so, they're on each other so quickly. And whenever they make a break, with the All Blacks, there's always two, three people around them. They're expected to make a break. Yeah. So then to try and slow that up, you know, it's a massive task. Um, but... Uh, yeah, you've got to pick someone to try and slow it up. Tell me a little bit about how you would go about slowing up a rock. You've got to try and you've got to try and cheat and get away as much as you can do. Um, 
and you see it all the time with people on the wrong side they're making the look like they're making the effort to get out but they're actually not and it's those kind of tricks you've got to try and get away with now again it's easier as, as the years have gone on you can't get away with that the refs are a lot, a lot smarter and know when a player's faking it yeah um, but you just got to make it as much of a mess as you can and when they go in as a tackle if you can get try and one wrap around the ball and to get on the wrong side and when it goes down try and take as, as long as you can to get away from it you just got to frustrate them if you do that a couple of times they'll get frustrated they can't get quick ball and yeah. then you'd hope that puts them off their game and most of the teams it probably would again I mean you can't know how different level all backs can operate at um, but it's all about trying to put them off their stride and not try and play their game stick with your own game and frustrate them and all they want is quick ball they want the ball in play as much as possible metres per minute is through the roof of the All Blacks yeah. where stereotypically Northern Hemispheres aren't and that's the weather see Manchester summer Manchester already, summer's great um, we're playing wet weather and that's that's the tricky part and you've got to learn how to do that and again it's it's pretty tough against that lot when I'm watching rugby one of the genuine bravest things that I think that, that there is on a field other than going up for the high ball, which is always a good test of the player's bravery, yeah, is actually pilfering the ball. Have you noticed like um, the breakdown getting significantly more physical throughout your career? Definitely. I think in the last year or so, the refs are so hot with going near the neck. Yeah. So when I first started, it wasn't so like that. And so that was probably, it was probably more physical then. So people could get away with doing things they probably wouldn't be allowed to do now mm. when you've got your big 120 kilo guys coming in and just coming right for your neck and your shoulders and more or less getting away with it because back then it wasn't such a hot topic where now if anyone goes near the neck the ref pulls up so when you're clearing out you've got to be aware yeah. that you can't you have to go shoulders body you can't go near the neck or the head so in the last couple of years it's probably gone down a bit due to the safety which is which is fair enough and I understand and you've got to look up especially with concussion and everything now but you take back 10 years you know boys are flying in with their sh- tucked shoulders and yeah. Because you're putting as much pain. If you put, and I would say, if you put it someone, get someone around someone's neck, they're gonna, they're gonna let go of the ball. It's just human nature. Yeah, they're not they're gonna keep hold of it. So that's See, what you used to do. I think it's one of those like laws of unintended consequences. Which now the neck roll is gone. You see a lot more like targeting of like the small of the back and just hitting yeah. as hard as they can. I think that that can't be much much safer than the neck roll. No, you, you're probably right. Um, but again, it's perceived to be safer and yeah. it's always out of public and looking at it. Yeah. And that's why you have to be so safety conscious. There's so many rules, especially last season. You watch, like, how is that getting pinged? It's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, the, one, the other thing I can't really get is, I know the laws on the ref are quite clear if you read the law, the law book. But if something bad happens to the opposition and you're the guy clearing out, like they will, they will yellow card you for almost anything now. So it's got to be a very clear rap, it's got to be a very clear drive, it just makes no, no sense. Yeah, and the problem is it's one man's decision, and that's the refs. Yeah. And they, as everybody knows, they can change uh, every game. And again, the problem is when they slow-mo it, that's the thing that annoys me, when they go yes. back to slow-mo, slow-mo makes it anything looks bad, you've got to play it at full speed, because that's how the player's seeing it. The player's not seeing it in slow-mo and then making a decision. It's having a blink of an eye and you make a decision and that's it. Mm. I think when they reverse it and then they keep going slow-mo and then go back and I think it just makes it look a hundred times worse and that I think needs to change as well. And sometimes they go up top for everything. Yeah. Sometimes it's just rugby. That it, it is what it is. Like it's the game we play. It's certain, again if it's obvious foul play, I'm all for it. You've got to you can't have that, but mm. one of those things that are questionable, you like put your rugby brain on here and have a thing. Yeah the interesting phrase was all the rage a few years ago wasn't it or a few months ago even 
was a, a rugby incident, which I quite like that. It gives you a lot of leeway. Yeah, it does. But And that's when you've got to... People who play it regularly or watch it regularly know what is a rugby incident and what isn't. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I think it's pretty easy to tell when it isn't a rugby incident, when it's clear cheating or someone's done something they shouldn't do. But the rest of it, I think that's when it help having co- uh, refs that are ex-players. Because yeah. they, they will know, like Glenn Jackson, who I used to play with at Sarri's, oh, is now yeah. one of the top refs. Yeah. And he understands it a lot more. Um, and when you get younger refs who probably haven't played it to a decent level, you know, they are trying their best, but it's hard, unless you do it, yeah. it's hard to kind of know in full time what is a rugby incident, as you're saying, what isn't. You've got no interest in refing eventually? No, I have no interest in refing. Do you know what? I don't either. Like, I, it blows my mind. Like, Richard Horton, a mate of mine, again in Saris, who's the winger, he's getting into refing now, he does a lot of sevens, um, and he's trying to go up the ladder. But he knows every rule and he loves it. It's, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because refing almost is the antithesis of playing rugby. It, you know, what do you love about rugby? You love the lads, you love you know, the bonding. But imagine showing up to ground and changing on your own. Yeah, warming up on your own. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't get it. And the funny thing is with Glenn Jackson, he was the one guy who gave the most crap to the refs. <laughs> and now he's become one. Yeah. Uh, get, was it po- Poacher come gamekeeper? Yeah, it blows my mind. But then when I've seen him seen him ref, you can see the elections naturally flow and he knows if a scrum goes down and the ball's at the back, even a couple of years ago, he was like, just play the balls there, there's no reason to, where other people would probably just be looking at the front rows and going, oh no, we need to reset that because someone's yeah. whatever. But the bigger picture is, and what more people want now than ever, is a quick flowing game. How much do you think reputation of individual players affects a referee's decision? So for instance, you're a seven... I, I would say it, it does. And they're all human beings at the end of the day and Richard McGraw is always a big a good example yeah who say he gets away with murder and a couple times he did and if it was someone else they probably would have got simmed or penalty but if he's been playing for the length of his career and young refs they were probably watching him and they might have been playing wanting to be players themselves couldn't for whatever reason kind of get to the level they want to get at but subconsciously they know who this guy is he's an absolute legend yeah and they're probably thinking, well, without realising it, it's Richie McCaw, so he probably knows what he's doing. Yeah, I always think that, like, if Richie McCaw and Matt Kvezic played exactly the same game, Kvezic would have probably ten more penalties against his name. Yeah, and it is tough, but it's, you have to sometimes remember is they are humans as well, and they make, they make errors as much as it's frustrating for us. But when you say about those things with individual players... You know, they are kind of without realising it probably giving a decision based on who that person is rather than what they're seeing yeah I, it is easy to criticise them because the one thing that does strike me a lot is actually their intense knowledge of, of the laws who was it who um, just was unbelievable the other week oh Wayne Bonds against Wales 10 minutes of correct decision making it, it, it was actually phenomenal <laughs> He is one of the better ones. But he's one of the best in the world, Barnsley. Yeah, he is. Um, and, you know, there is, a diff- there is a gap between the best kind of who have been regular uh, and the others. And I think they're trying to push it through. And, you know, when you lose a few people who've been around for a while, it's hard to fill that void. It is. And it, and it is. And it's getting tougher now as well. Because they um, are actually very, very skilled. I mean, if you actually read the rugby law book, you think, this is not easy. And to remember that, and to queue up to the game, trying to understand what is kind of the flow of the game. And yeah. If they wanted to... Lead technically ref every single breakdown. You could always pick something wrong with yeah. every other one, if not everyone. And that's when they've got to learn, right? What is is it changing how the game is, and realistically stopping what the next outcome is going to become? And that's it takes time to learn that. 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You've been sail club captain in yeah. the past. How did you go about dealing with refs? Did, were you the kind of guy that, you know, to buy him a drink after the game? How did that work? It's, it's tough. You learn after a while if it's someone you can really talk to yeah. or not. A lot of them you can can have a decent conversation with and it's also how you speak to them yeah. if you are, there's no point just losing your, losing your head at them because you're never going to think back but if you say look you're making these decisions but what can I tell my front row to do so that isn't going to happen again yeah. and then they have to give you an answer and that's probably the better way to go around it um, and, if, and if you've been around a while and you kind of have been ref on the same guy for a number of years you kind of know each other to, in that degree and it's a bit kind of easier than a, someone you've never known before I only had one ref couldn't remember who it was who just wouldn't talk to me and I was walking off right? at half time and I was like can, like can you explain to me I was, like, no. I was like how am I going to tell my front row or whatever the problem was to improve and do better and the second half it was miles better yeah. so I don't know if you got told at half time I don't know that's interesting but that's get- when it's frustrating because it's his decision yeah. rightly so he's the ref and whatever his decision is, stands, but you need to understand how to work with them and how to adapt to each ref. Um, and that's when you need kind of information from them. That, that's really interesting because, do you remember the Italy-England game this year? And the, like, the no-ruck stuff? Oh, uh, yeah. And Haskell's busy asking the ref. And he says, I'm not your coach, but yeah. you've got to tell me the law. You have, but he's not, he's making a decision. It's not like a scrum where I, everyone thinks their props are doing the right thing. Yeah. And if there's something clearly wrong, I you ask him, look, if he is doing that, why are you then pinning him? That's one thing. But for example, the ruck thing, like again, there wasn't really a decision to be made because no one was doing anything wrong. Yeah. They were, they Italy were well within their rights, and you read a lot of stuff after that game. And for me, I'm awful. Like I clapped it like fair play to him. I, I thought it was ingenious. That was great. And no one wants to Italy really normally have a tough game against England mm. so how do you stop that like I said earlier with the All Blacks you get into them and just stop them doing what they want to do yeah it's exactly what Italy did and we didn't England didn't react quick enough um, and to me it's rarely been seen that so it's quite a weird like, one in the middle of a game to suddenly see it and then other teams will start doing it um, but yeah I thought Italy were people thought that's against the way of the game but well, not, no one has to go out and get pumped Yeah. so you play to your strengths and I felt fair play to Italy genius idea to do it yeah I, I, I did this way I, I, I literally can think of maybe well Nathan Hughes did it ironically Nathan Hughes did it against wasps uh, four wasps mm. uh, other than that it's only I think maybe the Chiefs that have done it in the past Actually, yeah some of the New Zealand lads said it's been done back there but I thought it was a great opportunity for like Italy to show that they are quite forward thinking yeah um, and they're not happy just to kind of go through the usual routine and England then second half you can see they worked out how to get around it um, but yeah it was, I think everybody was a bit taken aback by it for the first 10 minutes uh, now <laughs> I was I heard um, an extract from an interview uh, do you know what I think it was um, the BBC correspondent Chris, uh, Chris Jones that, to- that told me the story but it was something to do with um, yeah the, he was interviewing James, James Haskell and James Haskell uh, was recounting a story about the lads in the, in the England squad or the Wasp squad and they're going around asking what is your outside interest and obviously Haskell's a man with lots of outside interests yeah. and he said and one guy stood up and goes yeah well I like rugby and my uh, outside interests are coffee with the boys so how has your interest got from coffee with the boys to uh, uh, couch ground, couch grind coffee. 
question. To be honest, I've said it when people ask me about it, and I've used him before. A friend of mine, Chris Custer, has oh, got yeah. into whiskey. Now, he likes whiskey, and I like whiskey, so we had that together. And uh, eBay said, Look, I really want to do it when I finish. I enjoy it, and I'm going to learn about the rest of it. Two, three years later, living in LA, running a whiskey business with two other people. Chris Custer's in LA? Yeah. Um, living the American dream yeah isn't he um, and you know and he said look I really enjoyed whiskey and that's why I'd rather do something I enjoy and kind of put my effort into it and I always liked coffee and most rugby boys have time to have a brew and yeah. what have you and I was like you know I think it would be a good idea to try and get something in in now while I'm still playing uh, yeah can we, same again yeah uh, can I the IPA and uh, monitor thanks um, and I always get you always get pushed and Especially now, in the last more now than it was when I first started playing, the RPA are big on post rugby, They're and, very good and, about and rightly so. Uh, and Quates, one of my mates, obviously now the ambassador at the club, is always pecking my head and, and getting, to rug, getting something before you finish. Because you know, boys sometimes when they retire through injury, it happens like that, and they haven't had time to really think. It's crazy, actually, isn't it? And before, in a blink of an eye, before you know it, your life's completely changed. And then you know, once that. Your, your contract stops getting paid the bills still come and in this, and that's the big thing about depression at the moment mm. lift the weight um, and it's good to have an outside interest because you know, we get a bit of free time and I've found it really enjoyable I've been doing it for about a year and I've just got the van in spinning fields and I've seen it all up and running and trying to do a wholesale but it took about a year to get it there from like having the idea to the brand the name so what was the first thing that you did I mean, what was your what, what was your first day doing doing the co- doing the coffee business? Well, I've had the van. Sit, I bought the van just before Christmas. Yeah, and had it brand and stuff. And the original idea was to have it at home games, and I had it at the last home game against Bath. Um, but I spoke to Spinningfields. Yeah, one of our main sponsors. Thank you. Thank you. And Spinningfields would be absolutely amazing. And I spoke to them and I was like, oh, could I have it there for like just a couple of hours one day, just kind of a bit of promotion. And they basically said, oh, you want it a bit more permanent? So, chatting to them after three, four months with a different couple of people, eventually gave me a three-month block on Spinningfield where I can leave the van overnight. Uh, and I've hired two people to run it. Um, and it's been going for about a week and a half now. Oh, this will be the end of the second week, yeah. And how's it going? Tomorrow. Um, it's going all right. Foot traffic. I moved it due to foot traffic. wasn't the best way it was. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's tough. you got Pret nearby. Uh, Costa's quite close Coluccio's he does uh, coffee the bagel shop so there's some big kind of players there but it's amazing already the contacts I've managed to make because it's an individual independent coffee shop essentially Um, people are interested by it it's something different Um, and you know it's a bit of a story with me doing being a rugby player Um, again Spinningfields have pushed it so much um, I've met a couple yeah, people since that. Are, are also the link to sale shops. Oh, they're one of our main sponsors. Yeah, yeah. so that obviously link helps. Uh, and I'm now learning it's all about who you know, not what you know in, <laughs> yeah. in life. Uh, but they've been absolutely outstanding. Um, I can't help, can't say thank you enough to those guys. Now I wouldn't like to ever tell you business, but I've always thought, why, why is there not a coffee van at tram stops in um, like night or eight a.m. in Didsbury? A lot of them give licenses out, and so you've got to win the license. Oh, do you? Um, and, and I'm also learning the real world, as we kind of call it, is a lot of admin and permits and 
Like if you try and get something done, it takes a month, even though it seems common sense, but it has to go through so many channels, you have to fill out so many forms. Um, but those, they are the kind of good places. And it's if you can leave it there or not. And I know a few places in London obviously have coffee shops by it. Yeah. And coffee vans. Um, but the van's there till September at the moment. Um, but as I've said, I've met a couple of people already who are quite interested about the whole idea. Um, and so it's a great advertising tool having it there. Yeah. And I sell it online, try and do wholesale as well. Um, it's just kind of, I'm just starting out. So I'm kind of walking, walking into it, not knowing what I'm doing, but I'm fortunate you meet people who are quite kind of helpful and want to help me. Yeah. Um, so you kind of learn as you go, really, which is, is stressful. But it's also quite fun. I reckon sail home games midwinter. You'll make you'll make an absolute killing. Yeah, I'm going to try and get it to the home games or have something at every home game. Mm. Um, and as you said, you say midwinter. Yeah, really, it's cold now in end of June, so probably won't be so bad now. Um, but the only thing is, being a van outside, the the rain isn't helpful. Yeah. Um, so what what ranges do you have? So I've got three blends at the moment, and I've done, so as I said, it's couch grind coffee, so I've linked it to rugby, but subtly, I didn't want it yeah. to be rugby rugby, so obviously a couch grind set, yeah. couch grind coffee, and in the logo, on the right hand side of the cup, there's a seven, so up in a different colour, mm. obviously being a number seven. So I've got three blends, one's a num- is they're done by numbers, I've got a number seven, which is a signature blend, uh, which is Brazil, El Salvador, and Kenyan beans. Um, and then I have a number 10 which is 100% Arabica and a number 13 which is 100% Colombian um, so it's quite just the three blends it's quite a wide range of, of tastes Yeah. and there's nothing too kind of crazy that people are not going to enjoy um, and the idea is to have a starting 15 blends eventually uh, at the end of the day oh, I see okay so and you just going to slowly expand yeah and the, the wholesale is one thing I really want to get into um and unfortunately, again, in Spinning there's a lot of offices there. And, you know, through the club, we have some contacts. And again, Spinning have been really helpful. Uh, the, the shop is is the end game as well. What do you um, make? Things such as, like, uh, like the coconut oil in coffee, that kind of thing. Is that just blasphemy? I know. When, pe- when there's a fan, people love it. Yeah, um, like uh, bulletproof coffee. I've got to admit, I did do that for about a month. Yeah. It's weird. Everyone has their own taste with coffee and, like, other things. Like beer, everyone has a certain beer they like, mm. and some people can't understand why people drink lager and they like bitter. Yeah. Coffee, there's so many different types of coffee. People have their own individual tastes. Um, personally, I'm a double espresso, double espresso, or an americano with cold milk kind of person. Yeah. Um, but they, it's people who won't touch anything but a cappuccino or. A I think as as you grow up, you kind of graduate from latte to cappuccino. To when I first started playing rugby, when I was at, at Sarri's, I didn't like coffee. <laughs> and for example I had a, a very milky yeah. uh, latte and then eventually kind of yeah. progressed if you will through it I bet the old school pros are thinking like well, what's wrong with like back in the day when we just had you know, a big jug of tea yeah it's, it, it all cha- it's amazing how it all changes tell, tell me when you were playing down in um, in Chile yeah did, after the game did you get a big pot of tea no we had water in cans of snake bite normally really yeah This is, it was weird and beer tokens. It's a weird thing, this, because when I first, I'm from Wales originally, and at the end, well, we'd do nothing, we'd get changed, we'd go to the bar. In the Northwest, for whatever reason it is, everyone has big pots of tea. Oh, well, like, 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 literally, before you get changed, there's a big pot of tea. Yeah. I can't ever uh, no. come across one of them, to be honest. 
Uh, let's just talk about your time at Saracens. You're, you arrived there and basically within no time at all you, you made made the senior squad. That must have been quite a shock. Yeah, definitely. So I was at Chinna, as we said. I was there from when I was five till I was 19. Um, and oh, not, sorry, and I just mentioned, in Chinna with, with Tom Johnson for yeah. the Chiefs. Yeah, we were both the sixth and the seventh for the back row for the two years we were That's playing first quite team. quite a back row, that. Yeah, we were quite lucky. We had a number called Paul Hennessy, who actually was on Educating Cardiff. You know that? There's a TV programme and they're like... Oh, yeah, teachers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was actually in it. And he was a big old school number eight. And kind of the deal was, he would do all the dirty work. Uh, and in that level, you could get away with a lot more. And me and Jono would just be like running around. So it worked out quite well for us. What, what level is Chenna? Uh Back then, it was Southwest One. I think it's National Three South now. And they were level, quite close to five. going up to National Two South. I don't know if it's one. I don't even know what Chinna is. It changes. Uh, it's not far from Oxford. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Like Tom Vandell played there as well. Oh, did he? He's a year below and played my brother up until about 14, I think. Is, you, is your brother still playing? No, no, I've got two brothers. They've both stopped playing now. Um, but yeah, no, Chino was, was a great time. And I was played two years of first team. And after my first year, I was at Henley College. Yeah. And uh, actually played against my coach. And then Henley offered me a contract to go there. Because at the time, Henley were quite a few leagues now, higher. Now, is that Henley Hawks? That they yes, yeah. Henley Hawks, yeah. Uh, but then... They said, giving me a, a contract to pay me a bit and get me a job kind of thing. And Chinna said, look, stick with us, we'll try and find you something. And Dan Harris, he was sent to the sale. He actually was at Sarri's as well. Dan Harris, what, what position? Uh, Centre. And there's a name. And, uh, and he actually, he got a, someone, one of the um, presidents knew him. So he got like me a training contract from training programme from him yeah. so they look we'll, ch- we'll speak to Wasps because well, they're obviously very close at the time so I was like yeah no I'll stick with you I've been in China since I was five loved it there um, and I played for Oxygen Men's for two years <laughs> and someone who coached me knew a bloke called Mike Heinard who was the Saracens academy coach then right. and said look give this guy a go so I worked in the gym funny enough at a cafe in a gym <laughs> making <laughs> coffees believe it or not even yeah. though I didn't like coffees at the time uh, so basically so I'd get a free gym membership played at Chinna and then I did five or six Monday night games for Saracens you kind of just turn up and play for the second team is this like uh, the equivalent of Sail Jets yeah yeah. Um, and that was an amazing experience playing people like Nicky Little uh, most cool. of those kind of guys especially when I was- Hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's just a chin. It was amazing. Um, and then it, I went away for six weeks in the summer to go to Thailand. And just before I went, they said, oh, we'll give you an academy contract. Basically, come and train with us. Play on a Monday night, but play at Chinna as well. I was like, perfect. Happy okay. days. So I did pre-season uh, with Saracens then. And then... Chinna's first pre-season game was the first day of the doubleheader the first ever London doubleheader in 2004 God, is that how long ago it was the first doubleheader? Yeah, and I got I went on a pre-season tour to South Africa with Saris and played played a game out there and basically got put on the bench in the doubleheader so I said to Chinna rang me up and said oh, could you play um, this pre-season game I said I'm actually on the bench for, for Saris at Twickenham so that was a pretty an amazing kind of experience um, and the night before the game, I was actually actually playing a kickabout with my mates, and it's only then a few days out I thought back, thinking, "What an idiot! If I'd like done something, Imagine. I would have missed everything." Who, who was the coach? At, sorry, it's when you made Rod Kafer, the okay. Australian. I remember him being a centre there. No, centre at Leicester. Yeah, and he was our coach. Dimes was the forward coach. Oh, it uh, so is that where you got got your connection? Yes, yeah, so that's like so. Dimes brought down uh, Alex Sanderson in Fullerton a load of um, guys from Sale at the time yeah. uh, and Richard Hill had just been on been on an England tour and he wasn't allowed to play the whole game so I knew that at half time I would be going on brilliant you just seemed buzzing so, absolutely buzzing and then just when you actually have a half time you're going I was like alright okay awesome um, <laughs> from playing in front of 100 people to however many thousand it was at, at Twickenham that day and playing the second half that's um, crazy that your first like, pro game was at Twickenham yeah, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. And then sadly, Hilly did his knee. I think it was against London Irish, I think, and it was probably four or five weeks into that season. Yeah, which took him out for six months. Um, so I was fortunate with Hilly gone, and I got a bit more game time, and then ended up playing. I think it was about twenty-five games that year. Do you remember your double spread in the times? It's when it's oh yeah, we'll talk about the hair later, but like. The trendsetter. Yeah, 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 the trendsetter. Yeah, <laughs> if that's what you want to call it. Um, you had like a double spread at the time. Someone must have got this, like your members have cut, cut out or something. Uh, I think it was like the retro rocket. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a weird thing. Like doing interviews like that was was really strange. Like Thomas Cassignet was there, Tane Randell was there at the time. So I think he's kind of massive names. The, the, and those two are proper legends. Proper, yeah, serious legends. So you got those kind of guys there, Nicky Little. Like, yeah. I actually saw him um, at a sale game uh, last year. So those kind of guys are there, the guys you kind of watch on TV and stuff, and then all of a sudden... Is Thomas Castanier as jolly in real life as he's on TV? Yeah. It seems like He's always got a smile on his face and always happy. He seems like one of the guys I'd most like to go out of a beer with. Yeah, no, he was, he was always on good form. Uh, he's only there for a few years, my first few years. Um, but yeah, someone like that there is... Yo, Taylor, I mean, yeah. if you want to learn Scarborough was there, Dan Scarborough. Dan Scarborough played for my old club, Broughton Park. Oh, really? Yeah, well, he, he, I think he's in university up in Manchester or something. I think he's coaching somewhere. Is he? Is, is Rod Caper still coaching? I don't think so. I think he does a lot of um, kind of TV work back home, back yeah. in Australia, I think. Um, so, what was the... Um, what was the atmosphere like at Saracens then? Because it's obviously a very different time now than it was yeah, then. They, they, they still had a lot of names, but it wasn't whatever it reason. Just it things weren't gelling. Uh, Rod Kafer, 
he left, I think it was around the Christmas time of my first year. Um, we had a lot of, a lot of big names who just weren't delivering. Yeah. Uh, and he left and Dimes took over. Um, and we got to the, got in the top. But then it was like the wild, Zurich wildcard playoff or something to get into the Europe. Yeah. Like sixth, played seventh or something like that. So we won, won that game at Twickenham to get into the Europe. Following year, I think Dimes went. It might be about the January, February time. Um, so quite a kind of a fair few coaches. I think Gaffney came in. Oh right, yes. Uh, Alan Gaffney. Alan Gaffney came in, and he was un- unbelievable. We got to four semi-finals, I think, in two years. Uh, and then Eddie Jones came in. Now, not his most successful stints. No, he was there for about six, seven months. Yeah, no, I've heard all sorts about this, but fundamentally, his like his wife didn't like the weather. I I don't know. We ju- we just weren't again. We weren't performing. What's he like to work with? He will tell you to your face what he thinks of you. Yeah, uh, and he's pretty pretty ruthless. But you never you knew where you stood with Eddie. Yeah, and this was obviously a long time ago. All right, ago. so let, let's do it a little. Early. What what do you think of you? Well, I started the first game. Yeah. Uh, and then I got injured, did my knee, and I was out for eight weeks. And I came back, and I didn't play much from that. So um, maybe he changed his mind on me after that. I think. Yeah. But you know, he, you won't find anyone who comes in earlier, who leaves later, who knows everything about anything. Not just in rugby, in cricket, in any sport. He was. So, he knew so much on any aspect of sport. It was unbelievable. I think he brings a certain intensity. Uh, yeah, and when he gets in that early, as he used to, like, and all the other coaches then have to get in early and stay later, and as players, you can feel it. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's one of the things he's done with England. And like one of the other coaches leaving at half five, and the other coaches saying, oh, half day, is it? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And it, 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 before you know it, it kind of quickly kind of cracks on. And It's hard to know, though, isn't it? Like, that does sound like a good approach. Yeah, obviously, working hard is a good approach, but it does strike me as like that is a recipe for burnout. Yeah, I'd say you're probably right as to how long you can keep up for. Maybe with the England job, obviously you don't get the players. It's not day to day as well with your who's at Saris. Yeah, you get you get the creme de la creme of the Premiership, who are at a certain level anyway, and you have them in certain pockets. Where's Borthwick in? Borthwick was yeah. I play with Borthwick. Yeah, and is he this a similar sort of character? He's he no, yeah yeah. There's a long shot of it. Hard working. Um, New line outs like no one else. That's what uh, they, and I think they've worked. Well. They worked together in Japan, I think. So they've obviously yeah. worked together well. Played with uh, Paul Gustard for for four or five years. It says so obviously he's in that setup as well now. Um, so like, there's been a few coaches and Kev Sorrell, who's now a coach, played with him there. Yeah. Um, and sadly, Neil de who's retiring or retired now, played with him. He's been one of the best point of imports, if you will, to. Yeah, very, very understated he, he was unbelievable it was him and Glenn Jackson were like the 9 and 10 yeah he was unbelievable I remember watching Glenn Jackson come over to Haywood Road not Haywood Road um, what's the place Ed- Edgy Park uh, and Edgy Park wasn't particularly full like, like, but the amount of the amount of chat that he continually gives all the time yeah they were, those two were an unbelievable and back then we, we had a great song around Louis and Massive Massive second row who yeah. played at Sale as well, actually. Did, did so, I remember him at Newport. Yeah, before, from what I understand, because I've seen pictures of him. Yeah. Um, so we, and it comes from the Sark, he was our tight head. 
Who's pretty know, an old school Titan, but one of the best scrummagers you'll meet. I think he got player of the season two two years running actually. Yeah, he was an, a, a, a beast. Um, we had them, and then we had Jacko kicking in every goal, and you know, I think that was worked really well for us then. So were you around for? Is it Blackman Black Monday? I don't I've, know. I've they heard were. that's what they call it now. Yeah, yeah. Were you? Did you? Did you get through Black Black Monday? No. So like, so basically, we all kind of had meetings. Yeah. And the guys were up that year. They decided they either wanted to keep them or not. As happens every year, which is not have anything different. Um, and there was a group of us who had another year, and we were basically told, look, we don't think you'll play next year. If you you want to stay, you can stay. It's not an issue. But if you want to go at the same time, we don't think you'll at the moment. And so then, personally, I had another year on my contract. I could have just stayed and seen it out, um, as I think some a couple of guys did. But I still wanted to play. I was hungry. I hadn't played that much that year either, which probably. And how old would you have been at the time? Twenty six. Twenty no, twenty four. Oh right, okay. So I was at Southampton for five years. So yeah, twenty four. So how long have you been at Southampton for? This is my coming into my ninth. Bloody, bloody hell! Yeah. Um, so then I was spoke to my agent. I said, "Look, I've been told this. Let's have a look around." And then a lot kind of last minute. Uh, I was actually on holiday in Egypt, Ooh. I think it was. And my agent rang and said, "Look, yeah, so the king um, faxed me across something, signed it, faxed it back, and um, and then started to say, oh, I think it was about three weeks, three or four weeks later." Wow. So, uh, just going back to that, that Monday, it sounds actually like it wasn't quite as brutal as it's made out in the press recently. Because there's a lot of talk about, you know, it all started with this you know, horrible cutting of 15 players or whatever it was. Yeah, we all had meetings, and yeah. the boys who were up that year got basically told, you know, you're not going to get re-signed. Yeah. And I think it's normally that kind of happens generally, slowly, gradually over a couple of months and stuff. But I think it's the fact that it will happen on one day. Mm was probably why it has got not the reputation but what it is what it is kind of thing um, have you ever have you ever had second thoughts about that and thought like hmm, maybe if I just maybe if I did stay there for like one more year it's, hindsight's perfect so you, I could have stayed and I could have played every game and signed another contract Ooh. and kind of be, and as, I, as you said earlier it's a very different series now to what it was then yeah the success of that is mind blowing um, at the same time I could have stayed not played again and if you don't play for I hadn't played much that year so if you don't play much for two years yeah. it's amazing how quickly you can be forgotten in the game and also I guess in Saracens there have been so many false dawns yeah I mean you, they've, they've been expected to win the, to win the premiership since well pretty much since it started yeah Nigel Ray was is an unbelievable bloke and, and I still see him he says hello yeah. like, he's an unbelievable person and he's obviously back then for a long period of time yeah I don't think um, people realise how much Nigel has put into rugby like, no. his own personal wealth and, he, and he, his passion for it is yeah. second to none uh, and sport in general um, but you know, I've been very fortunate this is now coming to my ninth year so I've played eight years and I've played it regularly and made some great friends up here and you know it's there. sometimes you know some, a change is as good as anything do you think you'll settle in Manchester once you've done rugby again you don't know what kind of options come around mm. and I'm up at the end of this season so you don't know, you know if I can get another club somewhere else or abroad it's it's hard in rugby you always think oh, there's so many options but until you yeah. kind of get close to the time there's not really much point thinking about them because there's so much variation you can't really pin yourself down 
this early, especially. Um, you look healthy, you're only 32. How is the body feeling? The body feels alright, to be fair. Obviously, after a certain amount of years, it, things take their toll, and you know, you see the physio a bit more than you used to when you were 19. And, you know, you Most of them rainy days. Yeah, especially <laughs> when it's cold. Uh, and you've got to keep on top of things. Yeah. And that's where, you know, when you're 19, 20, you kind of look at the 30 year olds. I think, oh, look at these old, how can they not move? What's going on yeah. there? And now you're that 32 year old. And it comes around quick. It comes around very quick. It feels like yesterday when I was at Saris and Hugh Vivian was there and I helped Vivs off the ground. He was like, oh, cheers mate, you gotta help out these 30 year olds. <laughs> and, I was, and now I'm, I'm 32. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it comes around pretty quick. But I've been fortunate. I've had one operation in 13 years. That's remarkably long. Um, on my shoulder. Uh, and I had many other injuries. I had one which was quite an interesting one playing at sale I think, I think it was Sheridan cleared a ruck out and got a boot where a man doesn't want to get a boot <laughs> I was like oh all that was a bit sore 10 minutes later I managed to run it off Se- half time I shit, I better check actually and then I wear two pairs of cycling shorts saw a lot of blood and I was oh, like oh no and so I went to the coach and said have you seen Doc by any chance <laughs> he was like why I was like well this and uh, it's oh you'll be fine thankfully the doc was literally a second behind and um, you're only allowed I think it's 10 or 15 minutes for blood replacements yeah that's right yeah. this is happening at half time obviously about the boys have gone out and I haven't gone out and uh, one of them the fourth official comes in I've just got to check it's blood and I'm on my back my shorts down with the, with the, the spotlight over it doc there with needle and thread <laughs> oh and uh, he goes, oh yeah, no, I can see you find this <laughs> and all this thing. And then, stupidly, I went back out and played the rest of the game. No, you didn't. Um, and in hindsight, again, it's one of those you think, like, what was I doing? Is this similar to like the Joe, Wer- Joe, uh, Joe Wersey? Um, no, I think he, did he lose his? No, he didn't, he didn't. I, I, I hope, hope not, at least. Oh, but it, I, I, don't, I don't even like, I, I'm so squeamish, I don't even like talking about that sort of stuff. Yeah, I was pretty... Yeah, thinking back, and then when I came in after, I was like, "Oh, I thought you went off for a blood replacement." I said, "Yeah, I did, but oh. <laughs> it's not on my face." Did you see the injury that happened to that Worcester player? Um, what's a big prop called? Um, kind of German name, Schonock or something like that. Like from here to here, cut open. Oh no, I have. Yeah, horrendous. And, and again, talking about exactly the same thing. Richard Horton, my mate, is becoming a ref. Yeah, he had the same thing happen to him. Did he? Across his face when he was playing for Perpignan, and. Uh, and his, I think, yeah, I think his girlfriend took the picture, or his wife, Liz, took the picture and um, put it on Facebook show the mate stuff. And then uh, I think one of the pages picked it up. She picked it up off Facebook and it was suddenly in the press. Yeah, because one of the more famous injuries to get onto you know, social media is Ernst Joubert broken nose. I mean, that, that is yeah. brutal. Yeah, I've been very lucky I haven't had any of them. You can't hide them. How have you? I, I, I'm amazed you've had so few surgeries. Well, it's good now. Let's edit that out. So, are you quite excited for this year at Sales? It does feel like everything's going in the right way. Yeah, the Kennedys were amazing and did so much. And it, sometimes when you get two new guys in, uh, Gervais and Simon Orange, it breathes, they're kind of, it's, it's new to them. It's fresh air. Yeah. And, you know, since they've come on board, it's been great. Obviously, the signings we made for this year, really promising. Um, last year was not a year we wanted to have. We you know we want to be in the top tier of Europe, and the year before we did that. Um, and you know, last year was really disappointing for us. Yeah. And you don't want to back that up with another four year. 
when the song's been made and it's all positive and you know you kind of you learn more from your mistakes than you do you do from your pictures as they say and um, I think everyone around the club is pretty buzzed ready to go go for this year yeah and you've got some good young talent I mean everyone's going to be talk, talking about the Currys yeah but you know, prior to the Currys we talked about Sam James you know, and these guys are still player. aren't old like, they're not are they I think Will Anderson's I think he turned 23 or 24. Yeah, I keep thinking Will, Will Anderson's like 28 or something. Uh, I know Mike Haley turned 23 or 24. Will Anderson's only 25. But you talk about these guys, because people at Sale, the young guys, unfortunately, if they're good enough, they'll play regularly. Yeah. Which a lot of other clubs don't, due to the, the size of their squads. Um, so Will, Will Anderson, unbelievable, still only 25, I think. 20, 26 at the top, uh, let's say. The, Mike Haley, 23. Will Anderson's also the maybe the bravest player in the Premiership bravest or stupid yeah one of the two he's, a, yeah. he's unbelievable actually yeah I mean, and he speaks to the guy as well he just sounds like a normal bloke and then he when you watch him play you think crikey what's yeah he likes to test it? his body out that's for sure yeah the physios are kept busy with him um, but you talk about Sam James still young Cam Neal still young and that's yeah. a good thing you've got I would say the Quakes when I was at Sarries say I had a group of Quakes Charlie Hodgson Chris Jones Scoey uh, Wigglesworth they had a group they were like kind of the core they've yeah. been there for a long period of time I think as a club we've got that now and they're local guys as well yeah I um, think so which is Dimes is massive on it Sign Jed are massive on it and might be so um, and you've got that core now that, and they're getting through my Ben Curry thing, one of the Curry's got capped yep. can't really tell uh, Tom can't tell him apart there you go um, got capped uh, the other year Mike Kelly, Sam James also went on the tour as well Mike Kelly got Saxons Bo's got Saxons they get involved Ross Harrison is still young played about yeah. 150 games people don't realise how young Ross Harrison is and how many minutes he plays and he, yeah and not many can do that in that position and he has developed as a player through the roof over the last couple of years yeah um, so these guys are now getting kind of noticed by England which a few years ago people were said like, people leave because they're not getting picked up and they felt the sales the place to do that I like it's, it's, the, it's changing it, the tides are turning massively uh, I mean what I like about sale is they do give young lads a good chance and I think if I'd like to see them do anything more, anything more with their signings it'd be bringing back lads who they've previously lost as example this year Cliffy and Mark Jones have come oh yeah, I, I, which, yeah those are two the, very massive and massive characters. I don't think you can understand how important it is to have characters around the changing room. And you want to have guys who have been around that kind of know the club, know the culture. Cliffy and Jonesy are two of the best at that. I do. Um, I completely forgot about those two. And it's like, and seeing Cliffy and Jonesy in the changing room, it's like they kind of never left. Mm. Uh, and it's good to have them because we lost quite a few last year of boys who've been around a while. So it's good to have two faces who, I think Jonesy had been in the club for eight years or something. Uh, how, which of your new signings have shown up so far? John Ross came in on Monday. Brilliant. I think James O'Connor is only a week or so away, maybe. Maybe two weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, Fluff de it depends when he finishes with... Oh, has he got to finish the season? So he, they're, yeah, they're quite top of the Super 18s or whatever it is. Yeah, now. yeah. Um, so he could could be a while. Um, but yeah, John Ross is in looking... Strauss with promises. Scotland. Strauss with Scotland. Then he finished a couple of weeks ago, so again, he could be another three weeks... I think Mike Haley and Beaumont are back next week because we had quite a few of our own guys so, away. Yeah, I was going to say Mike Haley was he away with England or was it Mike England? Haley did Barbarians? Yeah, uh, so did Ross Harrison. So I think they're coming so back next week. So how does it work? Week. If you are, 
if you play through the summer at a representative level, does your holiday allowance start from then? Yeah, so with the RPA, they've been quite big and pushed it. I think it's five weeks you get rest. Yeah. Because um, obviously, for the guys who, in England that lot, like, they just end up playing 11 months of the year otherwise. Mm. Uh, of actual playing, not just pre-season. So they'll get a good few weeks still to come uh, when, they fin- when they finish their touring side. Oh, right, OK. So you, you've, you've kind of got your squad minus some of the England players. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of the new ones we've signed... Um, so, you know, they're the guys who will probably get another four weeks or so. Like the Currys, probably get a good another three, four weeks. Yeah, and they need it. Like when you've been playing throughout the whole Premiership season, and then on top of that, they've been away for four or five weeks, including training camps. You need the time off. So you personally must be quite happy with the signings the sale have made because there's not really anyone there who is looking, you know, looking to take your your role. They're all big ball carriers, and then you've got your. Uh, yeah, well, I've got the, the curries to handle. That's the problem. Yeah, and there's two the of them. Me and Maggie were trying to trip them up last year. <laughs> uh, now, do those boys come to you for any form of advice or? Uh, yeah, we have a chat, and obviously um, Dan Braid's gone back to New Zealand now with family, and he's got a wife and a couple of kids. Oh, uh, uh, so Dan, Dan Braid's left, left left the club actually. Yeah, yeah he's going back back home. Um, and so they used him massively. Yeah, uh, and I chat with them as well. And the, the curries are they can't they just love to learn yeah it's, it's unbelievable because in the heights they've already hit they just want more info more kind of knowledge and anything they can do they're the two that are out there against each other the whole time and like if one does 10 reps at 100 kilos the other one's going to do 10 reps at 110 and then they kind of go against each other tell you what having a twin would really push you they've always got that kind of fight between them yeah let alone anyone else yeah that's a good point actually so are they as good as as we think that they might be? Yeah. I sometimes you get guys, obviously some of the youngest guys have heard about all the curry twins as well, obviously yeah. always add a bit of spice. Um, and they are physically way beyond what they should be at eighteen. Yeah. Or nineteen now. And sometimes when you get guys like that at a young age at that much that much bigger and stronger than anyone else, they're that they stand up so much at age group level. Because physically, no one can handle them. Yeah. Um, but then seeing them in training, their skills are up there, really? which is something that sometimes you find big guys don't have. Yeah. Because they don't need it. It's weird. Entry. I don't really think of them as big guys because they're so slender. But they're actually quite. I mean, they're, they're, quite yeah, tall, they're, they're heavy lads as well. Um, but amongst eighteen-year-olds, and I think they've been like that since about fifteen, apparently. Yeah. So then, if you put them against your average fifteen-year-old, they're, they're big units. Yeah. So coming sense. into men's rugby, they're not. But that's when you need the skills, and they both have it uh, in abundance. And again, just so hungry to learn and do extras. Um, they have the mindset to, to be able to get the 50 caps plus. Tell me this then. Um, I mean, for those who don't watch Sale very often, are there any other good young English guys coming through? Maybe you haven't made the first, first in appearance yet, but you think might, might break through the season? For me, um, and he came in quite late. I was asked this the other day actually. Uh, he's actually a hooker called Nick Dolly he's actually say he's actually an Australian but yeah. he played for England under 18s recently and he, he's only January, February maybe yeah. he's only coming quite late um, he's got a grandfather who lives over here so he lives with him he's like you t- for me as a hooker he's kind of like a Tommy Taylor mould yeah. like lean very quick 
good skills. Um, and I think Tommy Taylor's one of our biggest losses. Yeah. Along with that. like Yvadin, like he was. Do you know what? Nobody level. knows about this guy. Nobody and that, I think that's why him. we're so fortunate to keep him for so long. Yeah. Like, there's not a better tight head around the field I've ever seen. He so is. We suggest. I mean, we, we live in Manchester. I say yeah. we. I mean, like me and the other guys that do the Egg Chasers podcast. Yeah. We used to joke about Vladimir Kovalev shot the eggs on the ball because we didn't bloody know. And then we made that joke in front of Will Addison. He looked at us like we, 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 we were mad. So like, no, 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 no. He's brilliant. And uh, you were. He's probably one of the best Chelsea fans in the club. It's incredible. In the, the amount of no look passes he did, they were in exactly the right place. Is unbelievable. And he could scrummage. And he played 80 minutes every week. Yeah. Um, oh, and he could kick. And he's the best at table tennis. He could wrestle. He is well. the best at table tennis and wrestle. You paired him in wrestling. He was just. It was just laughing while he was toying with you. Um, but outside of him, like Tommy Taylor, massive loss. But this guy, like, he's. he's I think he's got the. He's got the equipment to do it. Yeah. Um, and so far in preseason, he's been up with the fittest. Um, really skillful, still very young, and I don't think not many people would have heard of him. Yeah, um, and I, I think he will definitely be kind of up there towards the towards the end of the season. I think people will notice him a lot more. Yeah. So, what are you on now? Week two of preseason. Yeah, just give me an indication of how hard preseason is. It doesn't get any easier, that's for sure. The more you do, um, yeah, like the first day back. We do our fitness testing, uh, and Sod's Law, it's 28 degrees, not a cloud in the bloody sky, <laughs> and that's the only time you don't want it to be like that. Yeah. And then back into the week, it's back to rain. Yeah. Um, so we're in Monday, Tuesdays, Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. Um, and with the Lions on, we try and get the boys together to watch the Lions, so we're in at 7 a.m. on Saturdays. Oh, okay. So this Saturday, come and we're meeting at quarter to seven to go and do hills, to then come back, have breakfast at the club, and watch the game. Uh, and it barely consists of you forwards and backs. Yep. Even though the back rows have been with the backs this week for skills and stuff. Is that right? And a bit of speed, That's yeah. And also the numbers are down in the back, so it helps. But it's also because when you're defending on the edge, you're normally the back yeah. rows are normally out there with the backs. Um, so we're outside doing SAQ, which is speed, agility, and quickness, mm-hmm. and a bit of skills for about an hour and fifteen. Then you go into the gym, uh, and the first session was four sets of ten on everything. This week's been five sets of ten, so that's quite a big slog with like ten. So two exercises and then three exercises so back together. Five sets of ten. What what kind of things you do? So when we do um, bench press, we normally do alternate arms. Yeah. So that's ten of each. Alternate arm bench press. So you have both arms up and you go one. Oh you go right, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this week, this week was uh, four sets of ten chins. Mm. Which is quite a slog. Yeah. Uh, and then legs, you do uh, single leg squats, Bulgarian squats, which is your leg on the on the bench. Yeah. Um, deadlifts, etc. So you do your hour and fifteen outside, then you come into the gym for about an hour. Then we have brunch, uh, which is not like eggs. Yeah. Like that. And then we have a meeting, uh, which basically tells us what we're going to do outside today and like reviewing training. So already we're like reviewing the training we've done with the defence and the attack coach and then we're outside and we normally do 20 minutes of skills and then on certain days we do a fitness block with the conditioners and then do fitness games where we all have our GPS's on oh cool so we have to hit certain metres per minute and they can tell us live if we're hitting them or not so we have three fitness games wow. after the fitness block um, and if different positions have different targets they've got to hit and then the sheet goes up on the board red for the people who didn't hit it in each game so 
Is it not just a scenario when you're not going to? Oh, hang on, because it's a fitness. It's it's geared. Sorry, the fitness game is geared for fitness, isn't it? So actually, yeah. it's just so and, you, and you've done the fitness block before. Yeah. So the the, the running fitness you do before, really and cool. then you go to fitness games, um, and then if we drop, how many balls we drop? If it's too high, we then do more down and ups at the end of it all. So yeah. like, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. So that's why we have the Wednesday off, because Tuesday we normally do a bit of contact as well, like tackle technique and things like that, uh, and wrestling fitness. Yeah, which is great fun. Easier now, Valin's not here, won't I? But when you've got Andre Oshikov, it's still not the easiest. Um, so that's why Wednesday's off to recover from Monday, Tuesday. So when it comes to doing Thursday and Friday and Saturday morning, you have still kind of energy in the tank, if you want. Brilliant. Right, well, we've been chatting for quite, quite a while now, so why don't we leave it there? And um, why don't you tell us where we can find you on Twitter or social media, and where can we buy your, your splendid coffee? My splendid coffee, you can buy from the website, is www.couchgrindcoffee.com, mm-hmm. and the Twitter is cgcoffee7. Uh, Instagram's the same, yep. uh, and the van is in spinning fields from 7 till 1 every weekday. So come down and grab a brew. And I can vouch for it. So there you go. And are we going to get, if we come down to Spinning Fields, are you ever there? On off days, on the Wednesdays I'm there. Uh, but obviously by the time I finish training, it's all been packed up. Um, but on Wednesdays I'll be there. Normally the boys swing by as well, so you should catch a few of the boys who live in town there as well. Fantastic. Uh- Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Open Blanca and Barista Dave Seymour, thank you very much. No worries, thank you.